And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Today in Joel chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, we will learn about a three-dimensional repentance. The Old Testament book of Joel has much to teach us today. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. What to do after a spanking. So much of life is interpretation. For instance, how did you interpret the December 26, 2004 tsunami in the Indian Ocean and 280,000 people killed? How did you interpret that? The Muslims of the region interpreted that Allah is distant and not paying much attention. That's why they have to bow in prayer to Mecca five times a day. It's to try to get his attention. This means that Muslims saw the massive wave purely as a function of random ocean floor plates shifting. The Christians of the region interpreted that the sovereign God of Scripture sent the massive wave to accomplish his perfect but hard-to-understand will. This means that believers in Christ saw the tsunami as an eschatological judgment of God and, in some measure, a fulfillment of end times prophecy. See, how we interpret life is very pivotal. Ancient Judah of the prophet Joel's day had to interpret an unparalleled drought which was coupled with an unprecedented locust infestation. Billions of these insects descended upon their land and their crops, wreaking tremendous devastation. Our text is Joel 1, 14 to 20, but I want us to read the whole chapter to see the preceding 13 verses of chapter 1 before we roll into verses 14 to 20. So take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament prophet Joel, if you have not done so, please. And let's look at God's word as recorded in Joel chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it. And let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has made my vine a waste and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. Wail like a virgin girded with sackcloth, 
for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The field is ruined and the land mourns, for the grain is ruined and the new wine dries up. Fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, O farmers, wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because of the harvest of the field, is destroyed. The vine dries up and the fig tree fails. The pomegranate, the palm also, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field dry up. Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come and spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Verse 14. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as a destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off before our eyes and gladness and joy from the house of our God? The seeds shrivel under their clods. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down, for the grain is dried up and the beasts groan. The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, for the water brooks are dried up, and the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness." Judah was hurting, and they needed to be able to properly interpret their hurt. I think some things are very clear in this chapter 1 of Joel, at least three things. Number one, it's clear that the Lord is proactive in all of this. He is not reactive. Number two, it's clear that Joel the prophet knew that the drought and the locust attacks were God's judgment for the nation's sin. And number three... Joel, the prophet, knew that his God-ordained job was to make sure that the nation of Judah knew that the drought and the locusts were God-sent, and they were not bad luck or global warming. At our dinner table months ago, we were having our Bible reading, as is our practice, and the passage lent itself to this, so I turned to Beth. I said, Beth, are you saved? And Beth said, yes, I'm saved. And I turned to her 18-year-old daughter, Joanna. Joanna, are you born again? And she said, yes, Dad, I'm born again. And I turned to our 13-year-old son, Jonathan, J.D., and I said, before I could ask him the question, he wheeled around and pointed to his sister and says, yeah, but she believes in global warming. (laughs) So Joel knew that his God-ordained job was to make sure that the nation of Jews knew that the drought and the locusts were God-sent. They weren't just bad luck or a change in climate. And all this being the case, exactly what should ancient Judah have done with that proper interpretation of what was happening around them? And it was God sent judgment for their sin. What should they have done? Well, I'll tell you a few things they shouldn't have done. They weren't supposed to move out of the land they were in to justify new vineyards and new fig trees and new pastures and new barns. They weren't to leave the land that God had given them. They also were not supposed to curse God. 
Job's wife, you recall, when he was being accosted by the tests and trials of God on his life and on his property, she said to her husband very foolishly, curse God and die. Here was a national problem. Judah was not to move out of the land they were in, nor were they to curse God, nor were they to just give up passively and remain in their sins. They were also not to form a committee to save themselves. And Judah was not supposed to find some idols to love and to trust and to serve with God, like syncretism, putting the two together, and maybe we'll hedge our spiritual portfolios and get some relief here. Nor were they to make some false gods and ditch the true and living God who was judging them for their sin. They weren't to do either. They weren't to do any of these rash and proud and faithless things. But will you please notice that when we come to verses 14 to 20, we come to God's remedy for the bad situation. And God gave his remedy through his prophet Joel. And the remedy that God gave to the nation through his prophet Joel was a three-dimensional repentance. Number one, they were to set themselves apart. That's what consecrate means. They were to set themselves apart to do something. They were to set themselves apart to fast as a nation. Look at verse 14a, will you? Consecrate a fast and proclaim a solemn assembly. The first thing that they were to do as a three-pronged total package of repentance, God told Joel to tell them to set themselves apart, to consecrate themselves, to fast as a nation. The second thing in this three-pronged and three-dimensional repentance was that they were to solemnly assemble together in order to cry out to the Lord in prayer, specifically in prayer of confession of personal and national sins. Verse 14b, consecrate a fast and proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. They were to solemnly assemble for the purpose of crying out to God in humility and dependence, in prayer, to confess their personal sins. And while they were confessing their personal sins, it was also to be an assembly where they cried out in prayers of confession of national sins. Confession, may I remind you, is agreeing with God. It is agreeing with God about our sin. It's calling our sin, sin. It's calling sin that God defines as sin, sin. That's confession. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to start a new series that will be talking about Jesus and your image. And when I talk about self-image, we need to understand that we're not talking about identity. Identity is who we are at the core. Instead, we're going to be talking about image. And image is the picture we show to the world. So I want to ask you, what image are you showing to the world? What are people seeing as they see your life? You see, we live in a world that's all about branding, where we like to wear our our particular clothes with Nike, Adidas, Polo, whatever it may be. We're all about branding. And when we consider our own lives, we are the same way. Because when we consider what what is it that we share on social media? You see, most of the time we only share things that put a certain well-controlled positive light on our lives. Few people tweet about their failures, their shortcomings, and how they hurt people, and so on. We all project an image to the world, one that puts tremendous focus on us. As we start this series, we need to understand that as we talk about this, 
first of all, there was one individual who had to put the image for Jesus as he prepared the way for Jesus' coming. And that man is John the Baptist. And it said in John chapter 3, verse 27, it says that John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him. Rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And verse 30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. You see, too many times as we consider this story of John, John, so many people want to think that he was the coming Messiah. But John recognized his role. John recognized that, you know what? I'm not the Messiah, but my job is to come prepare the way. That was his image. His image was just to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. As we consider verse 30 and, and we consider the life of John, many people were looking for a Savior. They were looking for the Messiah and they thought that, well, here's John the Baptist who is baptizing people. And in fact, he even baptized Jesus. So when it came to the whole question of how great John was, he could have easily become filled with pride and say, look at me, look what I'm doing. Even I have baptized Jesus. So that makes me greater. But we recognize in verse 30, it says this, he must increase but I must decrease. You see, he recognized what his role was. He understood that, you know what? His image may have been for people to look at and say, well, yeah, John is this great person, but he understood that, you know what? I have to decrease in my life. You see, sometimes in our own lives, what we like to do is we like to walk around puffed up that we are so prideful that we think we have it all together because of the different clothes we wear or the way we conduct ourselves. But John recognized that, you know what? In order for me to be, for God to become greater in my life, I must become less. And I think for all of us as Christians, we need this reminder so many times because it's so easy to get full of pride. It's so easy to allow ourselves to just, you know, become this person who people look up to and, you know, we, we put on the show for people, but yet we need to understand that as a Christian, we need to let God be seen in our lives. This is the image that we need to portray. But I think too many times, again, we get so caught up in ourselves. We get so caught up in, in having this perfect life. And we're going to look at that later on in this series. But we need to recognize as we consider our image, that image is everything. The things that people see is everything. I want you to imagine for a second if you're meeting someone for the very first time. They always say that the first impression is everything. And it is true because if we meet someone for the very first time and we feel like we don't connect, then a lot of times we don't get to know that person anymore. But if we connect with that person, we want to get to know them more and to get to see them more. And it's the same way in our Christian life. As we consider our lives, we need to understand that our image portrayed to the world should be everything that people see. And that what they see is Christ. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, this is what it says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, Jesus in this one verse says that this is the image that we need to have and we want to say we want to follow Christ. First of all, we must deny ourselves. Second of all, we must take up our cross. And thirdly, we must follow Him. You see, this is the image that we want to portray. We want to portray that we deny ourselves, that we give everything over to God and we say, you know what? It's not me. But we need to take up our cross. And as we think of a cross, we think of a picture of death. We think of a person that is dying on a cross because that's what the cross was all about. It was a picture of death. But it doesn't stop there. But we must follow him. A three-step process there. That we must deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow him. 
the question may be asked, what does it mean to deny yourself? And you see, this is a very good question for each one of us to understand because when we consider denying ourselves, this means to think less of projecting themselves to the world and more of using their lives to project Christ. You see, we want to show this image. We want this image to be clear. We want people to see Christ and not us. But yet too many times we get in the way. We get in the way uh, of the image of Christ and we get the image of showing the world what Christ is not like. Instead of when, when we call ourselves believers what Christ should be like and he's living in us and we die to ourselves, we take up our cross and we follow him. Verse 35 and 36 of Mark chapter says this, Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what is the profit of man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You see, the question again with the image is, is if we gain acceptance from everyone and we say, you know what? I have this perfect image and people love me for who I am, not for who I am in Christ, but who I am. We have to ask ourselves, what is the profit that if we gain all the friends, if we gain everything in the world, but we're just dying. We're a dying person because we don't have a relationship with Christ. I think when people try to hold on tightly to how they craft the image to be popular or athletic ability or whatever they may, they will eventually find that their focus is on themselves. It draws their focus over Christ. In a sense, they waste the influence they have, but when they give up constantly projecting a self-driven image for the sake of Christ-driven one, it's a sign of what they have given over their lives to Christ. I think too many times as we consider our lives and we consider what all that we have, we get so caught up with, with just the stuff that we forget about our relationship with Christ. It's so easy to, to get caught up in that. But I want you to consider that and, and, and think about what does it mean to forfeit your soul? What does it mean to just be accepted by everyone in the world and to allow yourself to be caught up in, in, in everything, but yet you're not following Christ, you're not pursuing Christ, you're not giving Him everything? I think too many times this is what happens to us, even as believers sometimes. We allow ourselves to get so caught up in being accepted by the world that we don't give Christ the honor and that He is due. Verse 37 of Mark chapter said this, For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with his holy angels. You see, I want to make it very clear because even in our social media today, there are a lot of things that go around and tell people, if you don't share this, basically you've denied Christ. This is not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about uh, a person by just sending out a picture or retweeting something and saying, well, I, you know, I'm with Christ because I retweeted this. No, we're talking about a lifestyle. We're talking about a life change. We're talking about becoming more like Christ in everything that we do. And as we consider this, as, as, as you know, Jesus is talking here and he's talking to his disciples that he talks about, you know, that he's going to die, but he's going to be resurrected. He wants to make it very clear they don't get mixed up in this world. As he even said, this is an adulterous and sinful generation. And it's no different today as we allow ourselves to get so caught up in sin. We allow ourselves to get so caught up in, in adulterous relationships that we are basically cheating on God because of how we are living our lives. You see, he wants us to be trustworthy. He wants us to be all in with him. And that's why he talks about how we must recognize that we need to First of all, again, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. 
So I want to ask you this question as, as we consider this this morning, as we consider the start of the image is everything. I want to ask you, where is your focus? What image are you portraying? What are people seeing in your life? Are people seeing Christ? Are people seeing an image that, that is portraying Christ in, in, the, in your lifestyle? Or are you just having a snapshot and, and you're not being real with people as we consider that we need to do life with other people? As a believer, we have the body of Christ to, to help us. And, and we're going to look more into this the next time that we, I want us to understand that we are not perfect. We all need help. And we have a Savior who is there to help us. We have people that we need to surround ourselves with people in our lives that can help us. So I would like to challenge you this morning, if you're listening, do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you know Christ? Or are you a person that you are gaining the whole world, but you have lost your soul because you are so concerned about the image that you're portraying and you want to be accepted by everyone instead of recognizing that this is not what Christ had designed. But we need to recognize that we need to be different and our image needs to betray him in all that we do. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio.com at gmail.com That's eocradio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. The question is, what does it mean to be sanctified and how is this accomplished? The word hegiadzo, sanctified, means to set apart. Christians are to set apart themselves from the unbelieving world through the regenerating faith in Christ. There are three aspects to sanctification. Positional sanctification occurs for all believers at the time of their salvation. They become saints positionally through faith in Christ. See 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2 and verse 30. Final sanctification will take place when we see Jesus and are made to be like him. 1 John 3, verse 2. Experiential sanctification is that process of conforming their personal experience to their position as saints in Christ. Romans 6, 19 and 22. It is this aspect of sanctification that is the subject of Paul's exhortations in Romans chapters 6 through 8. Paul explains that sanctification is based on identification with Christ and his death, verse 3. Believers must count on their being dead to sin, verse 11. The process of sanctification involves conforming to Christ by refusing to yield to sin and yielding instead to God, verses 12 and 13. Such yielding cannot be accomplished by the strength of the human will, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. In summary, the believer is sanctified as he or she yields to God's will and conforms to God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit. From a practical point of view, here are some steps 
that believers may take to help bring their daily lives in line with their position as saints in Christ. 1. Apprehend every evil thought. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. Number 2. Evaluate your thoughts by Philippians 4 verse 8. Number 3. Remember who you are. Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 compared with 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 9. 4. Recognize God's will. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. 5. Present yourself to God. Romans 6 verse 13. 6. Yield to God's will. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. 7. Resist the devil. James 4 verse 7. 8. Take the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 and 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. 9. Draw near to God. James 4 verse 8. 10. Be filled with the word of God. John 17 verse 17. 11. Continue in an attitude of prayer. Colossians 4 verse 2. 12. Share in Christian community. Acts 4 verse 42. 13. Sing Christian hymns. Listen to Christian music. Ephesians 5 verse 19. 14. Think wholesome thoughts. Philippians 4 verse 8. 15. Guard your eyes from evil. Psalm 119 verse 37. 16. Avoid enticing opportunities. Proverbs chapter 7 verse 25. And last, 17, be accountable to a spiritual friend, James 5, verse 16. We want to conclude this Echoes of Calvary broadcast with a Puritan prayer. It's called the Trinity. Three in one, one in three, God of my salvation. Heavenly Father, blessed Son, eternal Spirit, I adore Thee as one being, one essence, one God in three distinct persons, for bringing sinners to thy knowledge into thy kingdom. O Father, thou hast loved me and sent Jesus to redeem me. O Jesus, thou hast loved me and assumed my nature, shed thine own blood to wash away my sins, wrought righteousness to cover my unworthiness. O Holy Spirit, thou hast loved me and entered my heart, implanted there eternal life, Reveal to me the glories of Jesus. Three persons and one God, I bless and praise thee for love so unmerited, so unspeakable, so wondrous, so mighty to save the lost and raise them to glory. O Father, I thank thee that in fullness of grace thou hast given me to Jesus to be his sheep, jewel, portion. O Jesus, thank Thee that in fullness of grace Thou hast accepted, espoused, bound me. O Holy Spirit, I thank Thee that in fullness of grace Thou hast exhibited Jesus as my salvation, implanted faith within me, subdued my stubborn heart, and made me one with Him forever. O Father, Thou art enthroned to hear my prayers O Jesus, thy hand is outstretched to take my petitions. O Holy Spirit, thou art willing to help my infirmities, to show me my need, to supply words, to pray with me, to strengthen me that I faint not in supplication. O triune God, who commandeth the universe, 
Thou hast commanded me to ask for those things that concern thy kingdom and my soul. Let me live and pray as one baptized into the threefold name. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.